Welcome to Coffee with the College, a podcast brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives, Wisconsin chapter. Our goal is for listeners to find this podcast as relaxing as coffee with friends and just as comfortable as our guests and observers banter about questions that are on all of our minds. I'm your host, Janet Schultz. I'm Chief Information Officer at a human services company called MyPath. Our observer today is Madeline Bushman, Operations Manager in the Mayo Clinic Health System, Department of Family Medicine. Late last year, Coffee with the College listeners asked us to do more features on healthcare leaders and how their careers evolved. So today we're doing a quarterly spotlight. In these spotlights, you'll learn about the career path of a rising or established healthcare leader, and we'll also add some fun questions to the mix. Our spotlight guest today is Carrie Norbin Kaloran. Carrie is president of Advocate Aurora Healthcare's Greater Milwaukee Patient Service Area and president of Aurora Sinai Medical Center. Carrie has had a very diverse career that led her to today, and we look forward to hearing more about that. Hi, Carrie. Good morning. Madeline, can you say hello to our listeners as well so they get to know your voice? Hello, Janet. It's great to be here. Awesome. So, Carrie, to get us started with a spotlight on you and your career, can you tell us about your career path and how that culminated in your current role at Advocate Aurora? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, My career path is probably a little less conventional than some in operational leadership. Um, I am a master in health policy, was my graduate degree, Um, went to graduate school in the mid-90s when Clinton's healthcare reform was a big thing, and it fit right in with my lens of, I want to make healthcare accessible to everyone, I want it to be affordable, and so I said, I'm going to graduate school and I'm going to work on health policy, and uh, when I arrived, they said very quickly, healthcare reform is dead. That thing is not going to be touched again. They said maybe 15 years would be the policy window um, and kind of realized what I wanted to do wasn't necessarily going to be a path that was as easily available to me. Um, You know, finished my first year of graduate school. I worked um, for a state agency in Massachusetts um, for the state Medicaid program and realized what I really liked was problem solving um, and recognized that there was another avenue for me to do that. And that was actually through the law. Um, And, you know, since again, it was the mid nineties and, you know, the economy was not booming at that point. It just seemed like a good thing to continue in school, take out a whole bunch of more loans, keep deferring the ones that I had already, and uh, just roll right on in from my graduate degree into law school. So I went to law school with an eye to practicing in health law, literally wrote my law school essay on why I want to be a healthcare lawyer. It was a little bit more artful than that, but that was the gist of it. And um, went into that uh, with with an eye to, I wanted to work with hospitals, health systems, physician practices. Um, And I was able to do that. Um, I knew going into law school, again, because of the massive debt that I accumulated from my education, that I'd I'd be going to work for a law firm. Um, And so was able to start my career working um, with a law firm in Milwaukee was where I ended up and 
that's that's a whole other story of how I ended up in Milwaukee, but um, was really fortunate enough to connect in with um, a firm that allowed me to really pursue that passion of working with hospitals, health systems, um, physician practices, clinical labs, really the range of entities in the healthcare industry. Um, worked in health law, representing all kinds of different companies for close to 10 years, at which point um, I was approached by um, uh, an acquaintance, a professional acquaintance who said, hey, have you ever thought about leaving the law firm and going in-house because I'm looking for a chief compliance officer? Um, And that um, led me to Advocate Aurora. Um, Aurora at the time. Um, So I started in 2009, made the move from private practice over to be the chief compliance officer um, here. Worked in that capacity, really built up our compliance program uh, for the next four years. And in 2013, my boss, uh, the person who had hired me to come on over and work in compliance, he kind of continually had different roles within the company. Um, And at that point was tapped to be our interim chief operating officer. Um, Aurora had been without one for about a year. And our CEO at the time said, you know, hey, Steve, who is my boss, Really would love it if you can take this on, sort of figure out what this role should be, what should be kind of in, out of scope, and then we can recruit permanently for a new COO. Um, So when your boss gets other duties as assigned, sometimes you do as well. And that's what happened to me. Um, Kept doing my compliance job, but was increasingly tapped to work. Uh, he called he called the role his deputy. And I was like, that's not a real role. Um, so, you know, I'll help you out with whatever you need. I have capacity to do that. And it was one, you know, where I realized as I was doing it, that um, was growing a little bit bored in some respects with the compliance role. I think I made a mistake one day when I went to my boss and said, I really hope that we have a big federal investigation because that would be fun and interesting for me to work on. And he's like, yeah, no, that's not something we want to have happen. You need now, that's to a little perverse, Carrie. I know, I know <laughs> it is. Um, but, you know, the lawyer in me was like, this, this is fun. This kind of problem solving is fun. Um, you know, so I, you know, got pulled into more and more operational Uh, projects. And, you know, based on those projects, you know, had opportunities for leadership that opened up. Uh, Really, one of the things that we worked on together was creating the market structure that we use as our operating model within now Advocate Aurora, but certainly Aurora at the time. Um, And with that, there there were leadership opportunities that were created. And I moved from compliance into leading what was then our Greater Milwaukee North service area. Um, And that encompassed our hospitals in Sheboygan, Grafton, and Hartford were my first three hospitals. Um, I was originally the market leader. I had hospital presidents in those positions. I oversaw the three facilities as well as all of our clinics, um, which included two legacy medical groups um, that were kind of coming together as our medical group was integrating as well, and uh, a few surgery centers. Uh, shortly into my tenure in that, uh, we made a leadership change and, um, my leader at, uh, Grafton at Hartford separated from the organization. And again, my boss said, well, that's great. Now you have an opening. Now you can just do that too. Um, so that was my first hospital president role was president at Grafton and Hartford, um, and held that for a number of years until my role, um, expanded in 2016, Um, we added our summit facility into 
my area um, and took on responsibility for that. Um, and when we, we created what was called our central region. A few years later, we merged with advocates, we reorg again, um, and you know, with every reorg, roles and responsibilities change. And uh, it was in October of 19 that I was able to move into Milwaukee. Um, we reorganized into the greater Milwaukee service area. So Grafton, St. Luke's, Sinai, West Dallas, and South Shore, um, as well as our surrounding 125 clinic locations um, at our four ambulatory surgery centers came under my purview. Um, with that opportunity, I was really, really delighted to have the chance to come to Sinai and lead at Sinai. Um, I live on the east side of Milwaukee. Sinai is my community hospital. And really to have that opportunity to lead at your, in your community, lead at your hospital was um, just tremendous for me. Um, so arrived in October of 19, and then lo and behold, the pandemic hit. And um, nothing like really um, getting to know your sites really well, really quickly, um, bringing a team together really quickly to solve, you know, just uh, an, an unimaginable challenge that we were all faced with. Um, and so I've been doing this um, since then. Uh, we recently just announced another leadership change. Um, our longtime leader at St. Luke's, Marie Golanowski, is going to be retiring in July. And I'll be succeeding Marie as our president at St. Luke's. So we'll be continuing my market responsibilities with oversight of the service area, but we'll be based out of St. Luke's as of July. That was a long-winded answer. I hope that covered everything. Well, it certainly covered kind of the fact trail of your career, Carrie. Um, I hope you don't mind if I ask you this question, just because of all the, the zigs and zags that you described, right? And um, <clears throat> so one of the things I would just ask is you talked about um, navigating through a series of reorgs. So what um, what would you say is a mindset um, evolving leaders should have as reorgs occur around them and impacting them in an organization? Yeah, that's a really good question, Janet, and a timely one for us at Advocate Aurora because we just announced that we'll be doing another combination uh, with our affiliation with Atrium Health being announced last week. Um, you know, we talk a lot, you, you'll hear in leadership conversations a lot about a growth mindset. Um, and I do think that's really important. I'm one, I tend to be a glasses half full kind of person, um, you know, focusing on where the opportunities lie within that, as opposed to dwelling on the loss that you might be experiencing, you know, change always is some combination of the two. Um, you know, there's, there's new opportunities that present, but to take advantage of those, sometimes you need to let go of the things that, um, you know, maybe you've held, you know, close and dear, but it's, you know, an opportunity to say, I'm, you know, remembering that, but I'm moving on and taking, taking advantage of the new opportunity as opposed to dwelling and lamenting on the things that you really miss. Um, Easier said than done, um, but I think, you know, approaching it with that growth mindset that it's an opportunity to, to continue to develop, to continue to expand and continue to grow is the, the way that I've been able to approach it. Carrie, this is a topic that's always excited me is that growth mindset piece. Um, and I know we're, we're, we're taking this on a bit of a tangent. Uh, Janet, I think you opened the door to that um, with your last question. Um, when you're So Carrie, I do have a follow-up to that. When you're preparing yourself for those next 
opportunities or, or even, you know, as they arise, because a lot of times it's, it's pretty, um, unplanned. I would think that, that the, that the door opens and you have this new opportunity to step into a space that you've never, um, you've never navigated before. So as you're in your leadership role, how are you also preparing those who follow behind you to then step into that space? Because I feel that in order to be successful, to jump into the next opportunity, you need that succession. You need somebody who's ready to then move into your role as it opens up. And and what is your experience there? Yeah, that's another great question. Um, And it's one that we're we're actually experiencing right now as I prepare to move to St. Luke's. Um, You know, a lot of it goes to developing your team, right? And thinking about their interests, their aspirations, and helping have folks be ready to take the next step. Um, It doesn't always sync up as neatly as we'd like that you've got someone waiting in the wings who's ready because, again, that sometimes as you put it, Madeline, doors open unexpectedly. Um, you know, we were fortunate in this transition with um, Marie Marie's retirement that we were able to actually have a good amount of time to plan. And, you know, we have leaders here within the organization that were a natural fit um, and who were ready and had the inclination and interest to make that move. So we were able to name an internal successor to me at Sinai. So um, Dr. Nikema Regbu uh, will be taking over as president at Sinai when I move over to Luke's. Um, that said, when you do internal moves, you're just kind of moving the pieces around the deck a bit and where you fill one vacancy, you're just creating another. And so, you know, that that's what happened there. And, um, you know, we did not have a natural successor um, necessarily waiting in the wings for Dr. Aregbu, um, which means then you do a search, right? Um, and I think that that is a healthy balance for organizations. You know, sometimes it's, it is promoting and developing from within um, and nurturing the talent that you have and giving them opportunities for growth and promotion. But sometimes it's also good to bring in outside perspectives as well. Um, you know, and bringing talent in externally, you know, to kind of uh, bring a different perspective into the organization. So, you know, we've tried to approach it with a balance of both, um, you know, where we have the opportunity to, um, you know, move someone into that next slot that certainly um, makes transitions easier. Um, I, I know from conversations that Marie and I have had, um, she said, you know, it made her feel more comfortable being able to retire to know that there was a named successor for her and she knew who it was and, you know, had confidence and trust in me to be able to take over um, following her. I feel the same way about Sinai with Dr. Aregbu coming on board. Um, you know, so that's, um, I think it is, but that goes really to how, how are you developing? How are you preparing? You know, how are you um, identifying those within your team who have both, again, it's, it's that combination of, of talent and inclination to want to make that next move. So Carrie, as I listen to you talking about how to assure organizational sustainability, right? Um, I also just hear a lot of pride coming through in your voice. So wanted to just talk to you a little bit as we like to learn and reflect and hear from leaders like you, um, what do you consider to be so far your proudest leadership moment? That is an incredibly difficult question to answer. Um, I, you know, reflecting on that, think through, there are so many moments 
it's hard to pick out like, oh, this is the one that I was the most proud of. Um, because I feel a sense of pride every day, you know, and it's it, sometimes it is significant projects that come to fruition that you've invested a lot of time and effort in. An example for me would be while I was in our central Wisconsin region, um, the getting the approval to build a new hospital in Sheboygan. Um, you know, that was a, it was when I arrived into that role, the plan was, no, we're not building a new hospital. We're focused on outpatient and ambulatory facilities. There was a plan for a large ambulatory facility in Sheboygan. And it was, you know, listening to the team up there of what they needed, understanding where our current facility was at, um, and really taking a pause to step back and assess and say, is this the best strategy or should we be thinking about something different? And, you know, firmly convincing myself that we needed to do something different and then bringing along our leadership team and our board to understand that as well. Um, uh, you know, I'm really excited to see that that facility is coming to close. It's going to open this summer, um, which is just exciting to see. Um, even though I'm not the leader at that site anymore, it still is something that um, I, I really feel a, a, certainly a tremendous sense of pride that we were able to accomplish that. And the team that took it over um, has done a great job in bringing that project to completion. You know, so there's large things like that, but, you know, probably more relevantly, it's some of the small day-to-day things that happen. You know, it's when, um, you know, you get, uh, you see a kudos that goes out to your team that says, you know, hey, thank you so much to, it was a kudos that was received by um, our ICU leaders at Sinai from a team member who said, I want to thank you for making um, my first Ramadan at work a really, um, a really great experience and the support that I received from the team, the accommodations I received um, made a huge difference for me. And, you know, I, you know, someone taking the time to recognize the leaders on our team for being able to do that. I was so proud of that because that's the culture, that's the environment that we want to have where, you know, everyone does feel that sense of inclusion, that sense of belonging um, and respect for the wide variety of um, preferences that we all have. Um, so things like that, you know, again, it, it was a small little note that was sent out, but it was one that I was like, yeah, I'm really proud of that. I'm proud that we're at a place and that we have the kind of hospital where um, that folks feel this way and are able to express these kinds of uh, beliefs together. It might've been a small note, Carrie, but it symbolized big things, <laughs> which yeah. is why it was so meaningful. And when I hear your story about the, the Sheboygan Hospital, that's another example, right, where the easy answer might not have been the right answer. And mm -hmm. so from a leadership perspective, you needed to broaden that circle. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I mean, and again, sometimes you come in new to a situation, you're a little bit removed from it, and you bring a different lens, right, as to what's needed. And maybe frame it a little bit differently than it was looked at in the past. Mm -hmm. On behalf of Coffee with the College, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks to our premier sponsors, Epstein UN Architects, HGA, Hush Blackwell. And thank you as well to our preferred sponsors, C.G. Schmidt, Findorf, Paul Render, Nutanix, Plunkett Research Architects, and Quarles and Brady. So 
We've talked about a couple of positives. Madeline, did you want have a question for, um, you came off mute. Do you have a question for Carrie? I do. And, and, and you teed that, that question up quite nicely, Janet, um, when we're, you know, when you're in a leadership role and I, I feel like that, you know, the first thing when someone asks you, they're like, Hey, tell me about, you know, what it is that you do. And you in instinctually lean on those, those, uh, those wins, whether they're big or small, which, which you gave in your examples. And it's not as natural to pull out of your, out of your back pocket, the, you know, what didn't go well, where, where you stubbed your toe or the mistakes that you made. Um, but we are all human. And I feel like our listeners really want to hear, hear those perspectives as well, or those examples, because they can really relate to, um, what does go wrong sometimes. Um, so my question for you is, um, what would you consider your greatest setback as a leader? Um, and even if you were, if you have any examples from your experiences of the various moves that you've made through those reorgs, um, pulling something from there, I think would be interesting to hear also. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of, Madeline, I think about that question similar to, to my initial reaction to the question Janet just posed me, which is, I don't know that there's a single greatest one. There's all kinds of little ones that happen every day, right? Um, you know, we all experience setbacks in our careers, projects that don't advance as quickly as we want or don't advance at all. Um, you know, we are a heavily metric-driven organization. We track and score pretty much everything that, you know, we care about. And I'll be honest, right now, you know, we're dealing with a setback um, in some of our clinical quality scores at Sinai. You know, we ended the year last year, you know, one of the top performers in our system, well above our target goal. And then, you know, because the bar raises every year, new metrics get introduced. Suddenly we came and we got our first scorecard of this year. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, wait, 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 where are we? Where are we? Where are we? We're down at the bottom. Like this is not the place that we want to be. And this is not the kind of care that we expect to be providing here. And, you know, it was, that's a setback to see, you know, what had been really historically high performance drop down, um, you know, but with every setback, you're looking at an opportunity. So let's dig in, bring the team together and understand, all right, you know, what changed? Why are we missing now when we weren't missing before? Where do those opportunities lie? And, you know, getting folks to put the plans together to be able to address that. And fortunately for us, you know, it's a temporary setback and, you know, some blips in the data that we're able to, with the course correction that we're, we're in the midst of doing, bring that back up and bring it um, back to where we want it to be. Um, you know, but it is, it is that kind of, you see a scorecard come out and, you know, I, I was the one, you know, like, I, I want the A on every report card that I ever got. Right. Um, you know, and to have one that comes out that isn't all A's that's always devastating. You know, you're just like, no, we're better than that. Um, but know that it's a journey that you're on and, you know, it isn't always, you know, forward progress, you know, through a clear path there's, you know, ebbs and flows and bumps along the way and, you know, being resilient, you know, pulling it together and saying, okay, let's analyze where did this go and why did it go the way it did? And let's figure out how we're going to course correct it to make sure that we don't repeat it. Um, you know, so that's, I mean, an example, I think, of where, where we see things, um, you know, probably the 
if you ask me lots, I mean, it, it is, it's, it's where we see, you know, performance improving and then dropping back, you know, the greatest setback, man, I'll tell you, if anyone has a solution for how to get consistent performance in hand hygiene, I would be delighted to know um, all of our sites. It seems, you know, it's one that we struggle with. We've done everything from um, trying to gross everybody out. You know, we went around and cultured all the surfaces in the hospital and showed you what grows in Petri dishes. And it's got a very, very high EU factor. Believe me, it's just not pretty. Um, you know, reminding everyone of in the midst of a pandemic, I thought that would be reason enough to get everyone to do it consistently. But it is it is really hard to get folks to time and time in, you know, each and every time in and out of a patient room, making sure that that's being done consistently. And, and talking with colleagues of mine across the country, I know we are not alone in this, um, but it is, you know, it is one, again, one of those challenges of, all right, you think you're doing everything you can as a leader to instill the importance, provide the education, do the training, they know the methodology, and yet we still seem to fall short. So that's one where if anyone's got a tip for me on that, of how to overcome that setback, I'm all ears. I would love to hear it. Thanks, Carrie. Yeah, I think there are probably a lot of listeners nodding their head at what you just uh, sought some counsel for and empathy for. Um, So yeah, would be great for us to solve solve that together as an industry. Um, Going back to to your career and your path um, specifically, Carrie, um, what do you consider maybe the most important risk you took um, in your career and why? Or on the flip side, if if there was a regrettable move you made that, that people could learn from as they listen to your story, that would be helpful to hear as well. I'm probably kind of Pollyanna to say I really haven't regretted any of my moves. Um, I've learned something from every one of them. Um, But I will say the the biggest risk I took was saying, I'm not really a lawyer anymore. Um, You know, leaving that professional identity. And um, I I will always maintain my law license. So, you know, in the back of my mind, I will always be a lawyer. Um, But, you know, leaving practice and moving over to the business side was a big risk for me. Um, you know, and not knowing exactly, you know, this wasn't what I was necessarily trained to do. This isn't, you know, I'm not an MHA. Um, and I, you know, making that pivot into a different, you know, career path um, was one that took a bit of a leap of faith. And it was one that I was able to do and became comfortable doing in part because I was fortunate to have, um, you know, a boss and a mentor who really believed in me. And, you know, saw potential in me that I think I probably didn't even see in myself at the time, Um, you know, and really encouraged me to make that, that step. And, you know, you always know in the back of your mind, like I could go back to it if I needed to, um, you know, which minimizes the risk a little bit, but, um, you know, I think it was probably that career move that I would say was the biggest risk I took. Carrie, you, you have had um, quite a lot of moves throughout your career. Um, and you've built a lot of teams as well uh, with each of those moves. So what would you, could you share with us, what are some of the guiding principles that you use to create a strong team? Yeah, I, um, it was, it was that same mentor who saw potential in me, who gave me one of the best pieces of advice that I ever got in terms of building teams, which is hire people who are better and smarter than you. 
Um, you know, there you're looking for folks who bring unique and diverse perspectives to the team. Um, you don't want individuals who are just going to be kind of, I just go along with whatever the group wants and going to rubber stamp everything. Um, you know, folks who are, are willing to really bring a unique perspective um, and bring their expertise to the table. I look for teams um, where there's complementary strengths. Um, I don't want a team of everybody that's the same. Um, again, you tend to have blind spots that you miss things when that's the case. Um, you want you want a team that really is going to be able to challenge each other in a way that's healthy and respectful. Um, and it's going to push each other to think broadly and differently about solutions to problems that we're trying to address, because I think that's how you get the best outcomes. Um, so, you know, it is, you know, I'm really, really pleased that, you know, we've been able to assemble teams that I've been able to work with where, you know, I think if you were to ask them, they'd say, you know, yeah, we speak our mind. We come forward. We all come at it from a different place. They have different backgrounds, different areas of expertise, um, but all in ways that complement one another. Um, and with that, I think really it, that creates a collective strength that allows us to be successful. I worked on a team with a leader once who always asked those thought-provoking questions, challenging that we we used to call it the point zero 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 five percent of what if of what could happen. And, um, you know, this was an incredible perspective to have on the team because it really challenged us to think outside of the box and um, level up our problem solving and our solution. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, I think it's great to have all of those perspectives on a team to, to really come out with the best outcomes. Yeah. And, you know, increasingly too, we realize, you know, we um, we all have you know different biases that we bring to the table just in terms of our upbringing and you know how we think about things, how we approach problems, and you know really making sure that we have diverse voices at the table that are reflective of the communities that we are serving. Um, it's incredibly important for the team to be successful, um, you know, because again, it it's. Um, there may be solutions in the room that we're not aware of unless those voices are represented, right? Um, and we're able to call that out and bring that to the table as well. So Carrie, you have shared with us quite an incredible journey. Um, and, and I believe that we stated earlier, you know, zigzagging uh, throughout your career as these different opportunities have arisen for you. Um, and your roles have been quite intense. So what do you do for fun outside of work to balance that? You know, it is a balance, right? And it never is a perfect one. There are times when, you know, work is super intense. There's times when, you know, life at home is super intense. Um, you know, it's finding ways to kind of make sure that the two are kind of relative to each other, right? It's never, people talk about work-life balance. And I'm like, I don't know that it's ever a perfect, they're never perfectly in balance, but sort of, you know, it's manageable, right? Um, you know, to I'm a big believer, though, that it's not all work, um, that we do need to have other interests outside of that. And for me, I'm an avid reader. Um, I 
have a personal goal. I try to read 52 books a year. So a book a week, I keep a list. So if I'm always looking for book suggestions and if anybody ever wants a book suggestion, I'm super happy to um, share that. I've been in a book club with, um, it started with a number of lawyers um, and has expanded out. And now what had been a core group of all of us at the same law firm, none of us are at that law firm anymore. Um, you know, we've all gone on to different uh, paths in our careers, but we've been together for 20 years, um, you know, meet every month. And what I love about it is that we're a super autocratic book club. There's no democracy involved whatsoever. Um, whoever is hosting the subsequent month brings a book and says, this is what you will read. Um, and what I I love about it is it pushes me to read things that I might not pick myself, um, you know, and there's no kind of watering it down of finding the consensus book that everybody could agree upon that we might get if, if we um, were to be voting on it. So um, love to read. Um, I also, uh, my family, pre-pandemic, we were, we love to travel. Um, I didn't grow up traveling a ton. Um, my parents, you know, for us, a big trip was we, I grew up in Minnesota. We'd go up to the North shore um, of Lake Superior or go to Racine to visit my grandparents. That was about as far afield as we really went. Um, but when I met my husband, he really instilled in, you know, and shared his love of travel with me. Um, and so we've been fortunate to do some really great family vacations. It slowed a bit during the pandemic, but um, getting back to it and um, crossing our fingers and hoping everyone remains healthy and everything still stays open. Uh, we're looking forward to returning to Denmark um, in a month, uh, another trip to Copenhagen, which is a city that I absolutely adore um, in part because the other thing I really enjoy is food and cooking and eating. And Denmark's got a great culinary culture going on, um, just some really extraordinary places to eat. Um, so that, um, you know, I will say travel, reading, food. Um, and then the last thing, I grew up as a kid um, riding horses. I was an equestrian um, and competitively showed hunter jumpers. And when I hit high school, my parents looked at me and said, um, you have a choice to make. You can go to college or you can continue to ride because we cannot afford both. So saw very clearly what my path forward was. I was not going to be an Olympic equestrian. Um, there was not a future for me in that. So uh, sold my horse when I was in high school, um, but have been fortunate to be able to get back into it now as an adult. Um, and, uh, you know, really grateful. A former coworker of mine in her retirement has a stable and lets me do, I have a timeshare on a horse. <laughs> so I'm able to do a partial lease and get out to ride. Um, not as often as I would like, but when I am able to get out to the barn and, and go for a ride, it's a great way to just kind of clear my head and, um, you know, reconnect and settle a lot of the thoughts of what might be chasing around in my brain, um, throughout the week. So, um, I think those are all, you know, kind of, kind of things that I enjoy and like to do in my time outside of work. You make my heart sing when you talk about food. <laughs> I could create a whole nother podcast just talking about food and all of the different places to go eat. So if you ever have any recommendations, I'd love to hear it. Anything in the Midwest? Oh, um, if you come to Milwaukee, there's a ton of great spots um, and just wonderful places. Um, you know, and again, the landscape has changed a little since the pandemic. Um, you know, some places 
you know, have either changed how they were doing it or, um, you know, fortunately, most of them made it through, but some really wonderful new spots. Um, so Bevette is one that's on my list. We, they just reopened um, in a new location and the new space is gorgeous and the food continues to be excellent. So that's one that's tops on my recommendation list. So Carrie, on behalf of Madeline and I and our listeners want to thank you so much for making time for us today. Really appreciate it. Um, you being part of our quarterly spotlight. Um, wanted to just pull a few themes from the wisdom that you shared. Um, first of all, number one was uh, in your career path, um, diverse projects create new leadership opportunities. So got a kick out of it when you said when your boss gets other duties as assigned, so do you. And, and that's something not to um, be afraid of, but to actually embrace as an opportunity. Then the other um, thing I appreciated you sharing was the growth mindset to think about in terms of reorgs and, and that any probably meaningful career is going to have a balance of loss, but that loss also brings new opportunities. Also, when we talked a bit about setbacks and how to handle setbacks, what struck me and what you said is that we have to keep reminding ourselves it's a journey and we have agency over that journey, right? We have choices to make. And again, that mindset in those choices is really, really important. And then finally, you talked about how to build a team. And the note I made was run towards, not away from diverse perspectives. And that that has really been a key to your success in your career and in your leadership of many wonderful institutions. And so that's the thought of the day we'll take away. So thank you again, Carrie, for joining us. Well, thank you so much, Janet and Madeline. It's been my absolute pleasure to join you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Carrie. Listeners, we hope you'll join us again next month for another Coffee with the College.